Our scripture reading readings for today are from Ezekiel 34 and John chapter 8. First, uh, Ezekiel 34, verses 11 through 16. Here now, words of the prophet Ezekiel. For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, I myself, will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so I will seek out my sheep, and I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries, and will bring them into their own land. And I will feed them on the mountains of Israel, by the ravines, in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture, and on the mountain heights of Israel shall, their grazing, shall be their grazing land. There they shall lie down in good grazing land, and on rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak, and the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. Hear now the words of Jesus from John chapter 10, verses 11 to 18. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. And just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Let us pray. O oh God, our good shepherd, we have wandered and we are lost without you. And so we thank you for sending our Lord Jesus, the good shepherd, to seek us and to save us we thank you that he bore our sins on his body on the cross, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness, that we who wandered like lost sheep might return to the shepherd and the keeper of our souls. Open our hearts and our minds to receive your word. Be with Pastor Jerry as he brings it to us. Fill him with your spirit. 
so that his words would be the words that you would have us hear. Father, help us to have ears to hear them so that we might hear them and put them into practice, so that we might be people who care for the souls of the lost, that we might seek the lost, care for them, show them the Lord, and teach them your word, that you would save those who are yours, and that they would know the blessing of everlasting life. Lord, we pray that this would be true for us as a church, that we may be your people here in South County who care for the souls, those around us who are lost. Lord, we pray this in the great name of our good shepherd. Amen. We're in uh, John uh, chapter 4. This is the gospel of belief. John tells us right up front at the end of this book, he was an apostle, and he says, I wrote this book. He became an apostle when he was probably a teenager, a late teenager. And he lived a long span up until the 90s when Jesus uh, was crucified. If you look at the date, it might have been 30, it might have been 33. So he lived for a long time after uh, Jesus uh, was died, uh, crucified and resurrected and ascended. And at, toward the end of his life, he wrote a couple of books uh, one of them was this Gospel of John, the other was Revelation, and then some letters, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. And he says at the end of this Gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, he says, I, Jesus did so many things that if you wrote it down, all the books in the world couldn't hold them. But I've picked some special events and sayings and signs so that you may believe that Jesus is the Son of God. You can maybe become convinced on your own and that through believing you might have eternal life through his name. So he says, uh, I've written the book to help you believe and I've selected things to move you in that direction because it convinced me. And so I want to share with you what I saw and heard and remembered and recorded and I've been thinking about for the last 60 years. And so he gives us this wonderful introduction in chapter 1 about in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And that Word was Jesus, who was fully God and fully man. And right there in chapter 1, your mind is already blown, so you said it's got to be downhill from here. And, but no, it gets more and more interesting because Jesus is saying things like, the words are speaker from God because number one, I come from the presence of God. I didn't receive this, Jesus said, by revelation. I didn't have an angel speak to me. I didn't uh, have special tablets or glasses. I didn't have a, hear a voice or a dream. He said, I was there. And what I tell you about is from personal experience because the Word was with God in the beginning and the Word was God. Now, that's a pretty strong claim, isn't it? And he said, not only that, the words I speak are the words of God because he's given me these words and I speak with full authority because he loves me and he's given me all authority over all flesh. 
So it gets stronger and stronger and stronger. But with that great concept of deity is combined this remarkable concept of humanity, fully God, fully man combined into one. The early church even came out with special words to try to describe this. And many people during the first centuries and today, instead of traveling the narrow road of fully God, fully man, fall off in ditches on the other side. One ditch says, no, he was not really man. That was just in uh, a, 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 a ghost or uh, a visual aid because uh, God cannot become flesh. And the other side of the road is, no, he wasn't really God. He was just a good and great man. And so we have whole groups of people that fall into that. We have, you know, Roman Catholicism. We have Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. We have uh, Jehovah's Witnesses. All, and then we have Hinduism and Buddhism and all their false religions because they don't fully accept and understand and teach what the revelation of God teaches that Jesus was fully God and fully man He was a man so he could understand us and die for our sins. He was God so that his death would have infinite value and be available to pay for all of our sin. Only Jesus can save. No prophet, no religion, and only a Jesus who's fully God and fully man can save from our sins and death. And so when John gives us This information, sayings and signs about Jesus, he also gives us some actual conversations, vignettes with different types of people because people are pretty diverse. I know we're like snowflakes. We're all different, but we all have a lot of things in common. We're all created in the image of God. We all come from fallen parents, Adam and Eve, and therefore we inherit a sin nature, and the wages of sin is death, And so we're all going to die. You know, my joking question is, in the midst of modern science and all the medical uh, help that we have, thank God for it, what is the death rate in Anne Arundel County? 100%. Why do all die? Because all sin. Well, how do you know that all sin? Because all die. Because the wages of sin is death. And so we have this in common, and we have in common an emptiness in our heart because we were created for fellowship with God, and having been cut off from that fellowship, we have an emptiness in our heart as big as the universe, and we try to fill it with everything imaginable, religion, sin, achievement, whatever, any combination of the above. And so what John gives us are these human pictures of people that have all this in common, but each one of them is different. And we have actual conversations. And so in addition to long uh, monologue coming from Jesus, we also have these interactions that are not only instructive, but fascinating if you enjoy watching people. And he's given us three here in a row. And I've given you an outline here in your bulletin where it says uh, sermon notes. 
And in fact, I began here and I is talk about reaching the confused for Christ, outreach necessitation. Don't you like that word? I just made that up. So it would end in I-O-N and wall with preparation and exemplification and illustration. I'm going to, that's my gift to you today, this big long word. You can take that and put it in your pocket and you'll find yourself in a situation and you want to sound, you know, educated and uh, uh, you, you just pull that word out and you say, that's a necessitation. And everybody look at you and say, wow, that's a lot of syllables. That's a lot of syllables. The outreach necessitation, I just told you why. Because all is sin to fall short of the glory of God. And then, well, I gave you some verses. What does John 3, 3 say? Unless a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And then I gave you verse 16. What does that say? God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because he does not believe in the name of God's one and only son. So, Reaching people, sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with them is necessitated, is necessary because we must be born again if we're going to see the kingdom of God and receive eternal life and not die in our trespasses and sin and spend eternity separated from God in darkness and anger and rejection. Well, if you're going to do that the way Jesus did it, then you're going to know, need to know something. And so that's what it says here at the end of chapter 2 before we get into chapters 3 and 4 in these three vignettes. Uh, while Jesus is in Jerusalem, many people saw the miraculous signs he was doing and believed in his name. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them for he knew all men. He did not need man's testimony about man for he knew what was in a man. He knew what was in the heart of people. He knew that there was emptiness caused by separation from God, separation from our fellow man, and separation from our creation. And that creates alienation and emptiness. He knew that that was true of every person, no matter their situation. So we have here Outreach exemplification. He gives us pictures of three people, Nicodemus, the Samaritan woman at the well, and the nobleman. Nicodemus represents the religious. You know, the religious might be a minority when it comes to the world's religion, but there are a lot of them out there, people that take their religion seriously. They study it. They may have the time or the education or the upbringing. They have the opportunity to study and learn about their own religion of all religions. And so are they are the people that know their religion and try to live their religion, and they become uh, examples and instructors of other people. Jesus said to Nicodemus, you are the teacher of Israel. They look to you to know and learn about Judaism. And then he comes today, we look at the woman at the well. I call her the confused she has a mixture of true religion and false religion, and she just can't figure it out. Where do you worship, she says. Uh, when the Messiah comes, he'll explain all this to us. I just don't know what's right. We'll look at that more in a moment. And then next week, Nick's going to look at the nobleman, 
To me, he represents the nuns. When you take a survey, what is your religion? They check none. Because he's not listed as having any religion. And he didn't come to Jesus out of religious curiosity, out of a need for salvation. He came because there was a need in his life. His son was dying. And he needed to do whatever he needed to do to find some kind of treatment. And he heard that Jesus was healing and he just put everything aside and traveled himself, didn't send a messenger, to come to Jesus and say, will you come heal my son? Nick, uh, Assistant Pastor Nick, we'll talk about that next week. We're going to look at the confused woman. We already looked at Nicodemus the religious. Now we're going to look at the woman at the well, the confused. So we're going to start here in chapter 4. It is a long section. It goes on for how many? 42 verses. And so it's a good thing it's summer. You have your leisure this morning to read through it. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. You know, his ministry started out up north. You get the geography right. North is Galilee. South is uh, Jerusalem and Judea, this north-south thing. And the temple is in Jerusalem. So you would go north to Galilee, and you would go south to Jerusalem. Now, sometimes you go up to Jerusalem because it was up on a hill. So it gets confusing because the Scripture talks about going up to Jerusalem. And when I look at up on a map, that's north. So no, no, it's south, but it's up. And Galilee is north. So I'm glad you you clear now? I'm glad we cleared that up. I spent some time in North Carolina, and we have... Uh, Charlotte, and Charlotte has an uptown, not a downtown, because it's up on a hill. You go uphill to get uh, to Charlotte. And then I was in Minnesota, and Minneapolis, everything is in-state and out-state, because there ain't nothing in Minnesota but Minneapolis. And so that's in-state, and so so you had in-state and out-state. And then we spent some time in Chicago, and then there's upstate and downstate, right? Upstate Chicago, and then there's the rest of everybody, and that's downstate. So, you're welcome. (laughs) But the reason that's important, I know you're thinking, well, what was that all about? He left Judea and departed for Galilee. He started out in Galilee. That's when Bethlehem and Nazareth are up north. They're like the country people. You know, I'm going to start a new business. You know, OBX means outer banks, right? You've seen that bumper sticker? I'm going to start one RDNX, rednecks. We're going to have hats. We're going to have T-shirts. And it's RDNX. Well, RDNX was Galilee, okay, and the city was Jerusalem. So Jesus is born up here, and he started his ministry up there. And then he gathered his disciples, and the first thing he did, he went down to Jerusalem. Remember, he cleared the temple, all this kind of stuff. Well, now... When they heard that Jesus was getting popular, the leaders in Jerusalem, and baptizing a lot of people, Jesus leaves Jerusalem and goes back north. He's going to start for a year, year and a half, what's called the Great Galilean Ministry. He spent a year, year and a half up there healing people and teaching people, casting out demons and doing the uh, Sermon on the Mount and, and, and all this stuff. It was an amazing year as his grace and mercy was spread out over this whole region. In fact, one uh, Princeton Seminary professor said death was uh, 
stalled in Galilee for a year because Jesus was healing. Think about that. No one died in Galilee for a year. All you had to do was take and go up and see Jesus, and he would heal. They'd come there. He couldn't even have dinner. They're outside the window. They're outside the door. Uh, so Jesus' death was stalled for a year in Galilee. So uh, he is going up there for that ministry. Why didn't he stay in Jerusalem? You're going to see at the end of, uh, I think, three weeks from now, he does come back to Jerusalem, and he has a special reason. The reason he's going up there for a year is to train his apostles. That is the deal. Because at the end, he's going to rise from the dead, and then they're going to be scared away, but then they're going to preach the gospel, and thousands of people are going to come to the Lord, and someone's got to teach them about Jesus because they didn't have books, and they didn't have audio, and they didn't have radio. Thank God they didn't have PowerPoint. And so someone is going to have to teach them. And so, and they're going to have to deal with Ananias and Sapphira who lied to the Holy Spirit about giving money. And they're going to have to deal with how do you, how do you handle the Gentiles? Do they need to be circumcised and keep the law of Moses? They're going to have to deal with the Sanhedrin who wants to shut them down and shut them up. They're going to have to deal with Roman authorities. They're going to have to deal with the gospel spreading out through the known Mediterranean world. Well, you're going to turn loose three, uh, 12 guys who've never been to school on that? So he takes them for three years, and he starts out for a year in Galilee, and he's teaching and training and teaching and training. And these three vignettes were the beginning of their training. And so he said, let me show you how to talk to a religious person. And I said, let me talk to you how to talk to a confused person, and then let me talk to you how to talk to a person that has no religion. So this is important that he's going back to Galilee to start the great Galilean campaign. And he had to pass through Samaria. Samaria is up north. It's between Galilee and Jerusalem. Here we go, geography again. You got Jerusalem, you're going north, and to get to Galilee, you got to go through Samaria. You know who lives in Samaria? Samaritans. You got it. That's right. Well, what's wrong with Samaritans? Well, in 722 B.C., before Christ, so you know this was 722 years before what we're reading now, uh, the Assyrians came in and conquered northern Israel, and their policy at the time was move everybody out so they couldn't rebel and bring people in from all sorts of other countries, and that's what they did. And so the Jews that were left in Samaria intermarried with all these false religion people, and they came up with the weirdest mix you've ever heard of about religion. And the reason that was a problem was in 522 B.C., Nebuchadnezzar came in and took southern Jerusalem and took them over away and left a few people in the land. And, and God said, you're being exiled for idolatry. You didn't follow me. You followed other gods, and so you're going to be exiled. So Nebuchadnezzar took the last Jerusalem king, and he lined up, after he conquered Jerusalem, he lined up his sons in front of him, and he killed them one by one. And then he put out the Jewish king's eyes. And then he put a brass fish hook through his nose and took the rope and led him and thousands of others across the desert to his kingdom. And he died there. And the last sight he ever saw was his sons being killed for idolatry. So when they came back seven years later, they said, we're going to stay away from idolatry. 
And then they say, we're all going to stay away from idolaters, and that was Samaritans. So instead of sharing with the Samaritans, here's the true religion. They just say, we're going to stay away from you because you like disease. And so it says right here, later on, it says that Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. But it said Jesus must, had to pass through Samaria. You don't use must and had to to king of all the world. Jesus didn't have to do nothing. Are we clear on that? He says, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down. God has given me authority to lay it down and take it up. So there's no had in Jesus' life. But he was compelled because he said, I have sheep that are not of this flock, Jews, and I got to go find them. And there was a lady there in Samaria that was one of his sheep, and he was going to get her. And that's what he was doing. That's where he had to go. That's why Sandy and I had to come to Maryland. that right? That's why you have to do the things that you do. Paul said, I am compelled to share the gospel. And so Jesus had to go through Samaria. He came to a town of Samaria called Sychar near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. You know, who cares about a well in the middle of Galilee? Because it was associated, it was associated, it was associated with Jacob. You know, sometimes I come to towns like this, and uh, excuse me, churches, and then I learn about the history. And for me, it becomes a special church because of the people that were here. Some of you have been here, you don't even know the people that were here before. It took me a year to learn about them. I don't know most of them now anyway. They're known to God. Elders, deacons, pastors, Dan Smith and Steve at Meyerhoff, and, and all you elders and deacons and you committee chairs and you people that run nurseries. The well was special because it was Jacob's well. This church is special because of the people that were here and are here now. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, weird as his was from his journey, was sitting about the well it was about the sixth hour, that's noon, heat of the day. Jesus wearied. Does that bother you? Jesus is God. God is omnipotent. God is not weary, nor can his hand lose his strength. But Jesus is weary. It's a long trek going north from Jerusalem to Samaria, off of dirty, rocky ground with the sun bearing down, walking. He was tired. He was weary. He was human. And he sits down. You know what you do when you're tired? Kick your feet up, find some shade, get something to eat, and rest. But not Jesus. You know, I read about in the Civil War and the Revolutionary Wars, guys that marched all night through the rain, wool suits, no food, no coffee. And as soon as they arrive up to the battle site, you know the first thing that happens? They're thrown into the battle. Because it's going bad, and they have to get in there and save the day. You read in the Revolutionary War and the Civil War again and again, uh, divisions that traveled all night, and as soon as they arrived on the battlefield, tired, hungry, worn out, they're thrown into the middle of the battle because they're needed. And Jesus, tired as he was, he jumps right into the battle. 
Because he's just not talking with a wayward, confused person here. He's battling all the forces of Satan who spent hundreds of years leading these people into idolatry and giving them a false religion. So he's going into a battle at the end of a long journey. He was weary, but he had to be there. And a woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to me, give me a drink. Would you help me out here? And you see, I've given you some steps here in how to reach the confused of Christ. First of all, you've got to seek them out. Now, Nicodemus came to Jesus. The nobleman comes to Jesus because they both had needs. Nicodemus had an empty hole in his heart, and the nobleman had a sick child. This woman just minding her own business. I ain't going nowhere. I'm staying right here. Some people you have to go to. Some people see this beautiful church on a hill, and they come here. A lot of people aren't here this morning. You see those empty spaces in the pew right there? They're not here. How are we going to get to them? Let's wait. See if they show up. Well, that works for some. But I go up and down the road every now and then, and I see an EMS vehicle with lights flashing and blare, horn, they're going to get someone. Jesus went out of his way into foreign territory to go after this woman. Some people, you got to go after them. Seek common ground. Can you help me? There's no way, better way to make a friend of a person say, look, could you help me with this? You know? Just pointing this out, seek common ground. And then what happens? She says, give me a drink. She says, how is it you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? It's like, yeah, you Jews, most of the time we're like dirt under your feet, but if you need something, you're willing to talk to me, right? And then Jesus said, here's another thing. There's nothing like getting people's curiosity up. What do you think of Jesus? Have you ever heard about Jesus? What do you know about Jesus? If you knew, I've used that line on airplanes. Well, if you knew about Jesus, I think you'd find him the most attractive person you ever met. What do you mean, if I know? Would you like to know? Well, yeah. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that's saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would give you living water. There are two things, people, that we have to share with people, with confused people, with all people. Two things, what and who. First of all, they're going to know the what, the gift of God. Because most people say, the way I get to God is either by studying or sacrificing or doing something, keeping rules and going here and doing there. And if I sacrifice or, or give or, or study or serve or do all these things, then I will have a path to God and I'll be saved. Now, that's the basis of the world's religions, isn't it? But Jesus said, no, the word is gift because you can't save yourself. You must be born again. And the only way that happens is if God reaches down and gives you new life, you can't earn it, you can't steal it, you can't pay for it. It has to be a gift, and that's the beginning of knowledge 
for the confused person is that no matter what you've been told in that false religion, this is a gift from God because it can't be earned. So first of all, we talk, got to talk about the what. What is your condition? And then we got to tell them the who. Because the answer, the gift, is not a what. It's a who. It's Jesus. And so Jesus ends up with Jesus, with Nicodemus. He ends up with himself. I am he at the end. You'll see that. Give me a drink. You would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. And this sounds like Nicodemus. Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get living water? Our father Jacob, he gave us the well and drank for himself, his sons and his livestock. Well, that's how you know it's not living water, because animals drink it. Jesus said to her, everyone drinks of this water, be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water I've given, there be thirsty again. The water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said, well, give me some of this water so I won't be thirsty. And I don't have to come out here to this well. Just like Nicodemus, material. That's all I can think about is material because I'm flesh and flesh only thinks about flesh. And I'm not spiritual. I'm not from heaven. And I don't understand what in the world are you talking about. Nicodemus said that. What do you mean? Crawl back into my mother's womb? And she's saying, well, yeah, I like this word. I won't have to come to the well. And so once you get in the conversation, you're in this roadblock of ignorance and materialism. And you say, well, I knew this was in the heart. Uh, this doesn't surprise me. If they understood it, then I wouldn't have to be here explaining it. And so Jesus changes gears and he says, call your husband. I don't have a husband. Well, it's helpful when you're sharing with someone to accentuate the positive. You're right. Let me give you credit for that. I had a person who one time, I was talking to him, and uh, he was living with his girlfriend, and we're going to talk about it. He said, no, I'm not going to lie about it. I'm living with her. I said, well, you're doing good, not lying. Let's go on to the issue. (laughs) You're not lying. Good for you. Jesus said, good for you. You're right. I have no husband. You've had five husbands. And the one you have now is not your husband. I guess you got smart. Said, I'm not going through that divorce stuff the sixth time. But see, Nicodemus had a hole in his heart in spite of his religion. This woman has a hole in her heart. In fact, one commentator on this said, this is a story about modern people who keep trying to find their fulfillment in other people. How is it that the, 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 the owner and the founder and the manager of the biggest business in America divorces his wife of 30-something years because he's found new life and joy in this other woman. What? What is that about? Because I've got to find my fulfillment and joy and happiness in this other person well, she was a, 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 an achiever. She'd done it five times. She's on her six. So she had an emptiness, and she kept trying. And that's the way a lot of people are today. I perceive you're a prophet. If you want to talk religion, I'll talk religion. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, Gerizim. You say Jerusalem is where people ought to worship. Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem you will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. And, of course, and that's where Jesus made his mistake. He's getting confrontational. 
And you don't want to be confrontational when you share when I use irony and sarcasm in my sermon. Wake up. I'm not going to correct Jesus. I don't feel the need to do that or the ability or the stupidity. What did he do? He says, let's get truth straight because only the truth can save you. You don't know what you're talking about. Boy, when I'm sharing with someone sometime, I am so desirous. I wish I could de develop a gospel, the good news that would save you. I've got to tell you about sin, and that makes you feel upset, and it makes you, it diminishes your, your self-image. I've got to tell you that all that you believe your life is wrong, is false religion. I just wish I could get a religion that says to the woman, well, look, that's okay. You worship, you know, according to your light, and we worship according to our light, and always lead to God, but, but we can be friends here, and we can have some co-religion here, and we can learn it. Jesus just says, nope, you don't know what you're talking about. Salvation is through the Jews. Sooner or later, you've got to get to the truth. I can't share anything but the gospel. You know why? Not only am I under obligation, it's the only thing that saves Worshiping a garrison will not save this woman. So it would be the height of cruelty to affirm false religion. I can respect you. You believe what you want to believe, but what you believe is wrong. And that's what Jesus does. He jumps right on it. And he goes on, and let's see. I got to find page two. There it is. And the woman says, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. Messiah is Hebrew for anointed. Christos is Greek for anointed. He will tell us all things. And then Jesus takes all these steps. And where does he end up? Same day place he did with Nicodemus. As the brass servant was lifted up by Moses, and everyone who looked at him in faith could be saved, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. That's what he told Nicodemus. What he told the woman, well, I am the Messiah. You got to end up with Jesus. No matter how you get there, you got to end up with Jesus. Move toward Jesus. And this, the, the disciples came back, and then she says, left her water jar. Sometimes you actually have to leave some of what you're doing. I was going to watch the football game this afternoon. But I met a new person at church. Why don't you come back and have lunch with us? Sometimes you got to put beside your water pot, okay? And go tell someone about Jesus. That's what it means to go after people. And then she says, look, I see a man who told me all that I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? And they went out of the town and were coming to him. Now, look, for one, man, i got to move on here. If a woman has been married five times... And she's on her sixth man, comes and tells her about a seventh man. Why would I listen? Because I think this woman was an influencer. First of all, they tolerated her in town and didn't kick her out. Think what the women were thinking. Man, she's toxic. Every time she gets around, around a man, she marries him, and there are five ineligible guys, now six. They tolerated her, but first, she went back. They listened to her. It's the most amazing thing. I think she was an influencer. There are people walking around who are influencers. 
And I could tell you stories, but, and then the way she talked to Jesus, I like this lady. She, she just keeps going, she keeps talking. You can have a conversation with this lady. Well, they said, okay, we're going to come out and check it out. And they all went out there and then they're coming back. And I want to end with this. You can read the rest of it for yourselves, right? Okay. The disciples come back. And they say, Rabbi, eat this food. You know, we, we got, you know, a, a ham on rye, and it's just for you. And he says, no, I have food to eat you don't know about. Somebody bring you a sandwich? My food is to do the will of him who sent me and accomplish his work. When you're tired and hungry and you meet a woman and you share the gospel with her in the heat of the day and you're trying to overcome centuries of false religion and her life, that's work. He didn't call it anything else. He called it work. And then he says this, you save four months and there's a harvest. I'm going to plant this seed and in four months it's going to grow. He says, look, man, the harvest is now. We're not just planting, we're harvesting. They're both happening at the same time. You don't plant today and wait because you know what? Others have been planting before us. We're reaping what they sowed even as we sow what others will reap. But then here's what he says. I tell you, verse 35, lift up your eyes, open your eyes, and see that the fields are white for harvest. See that the fields are white. for See wheat, when it starts getting ripe, the color goes down and it gets this whitish color. And it might have been these people coming from town out to this well in their robes and their turban looked like a sea of white wheat waving. And he said, open your eyes. We're sowing seed, but it's also time to harvest. There are people among us that are ripe for the harvest. Some you got to go after. And you'll be amazed how they respond like the woman at the well and like this whole town of people. So I was thinking, where could I take you guys that we could go see the fields white for harvest. So I said, okay, let's go up to the intersection of Highway 2 and Mayo Road. I did the research in 2017, that's two years ago, the average daily traffic, average daily traffic, 365 days, at that intersection in 2017 was 41,000 cars a day. If you go south, where two and four come together, that intersection is 41,000 cars a day. So I want you to take a trip with me. Let's go. Follow me in your mind. We're going to go through that set of doors. Second set of doors. We're going to keep going. Uh, follow me across the parking lot, okay? Let's go up the grassy hill. See our sign? Let's take a few steps more. There's a guardrail there. I want you to stand there with me. And every day, 21,000 cars go by that sign. The fields are white in the harvest. They're just in cars. And I'm going to hold a sign that says every 10th car is invited to Grace Church. I thought, that's 200 cars. What in the world if 200 cars showed up here on a Sunday morning? Where would we put them? The fields are white in the harvest, right out there. 
at least 25,000 cars a day on average pass that sign and pass this church. And God is working in their heart. Some are religious and they're empty. Some have needs in their life like the nobleman. And some are just going about their business and someone's got to go out there and say, could you help me? I need your help. Could you answer this question for me? Have you ever heard of Jesus? What do you think of? I think if you knew anything about him, you'd find him the most attractive person you'd ever met. Have you ever thought what you're going to do with your sin? Do you have a hole in your heart and you can't fill it? Would you be interested in hearing about Jesus? That's our harvest, and it's white. And that's why we're here. It may be the end of a long journey, the end of a day when you're tired, a weekend when you need to take off. But even if you're tired and weary, there are people that Jesus has called to himself, and he's waiting, waiting, waiting for one of his messengers to open the conversation. He may have predestined and elected the person, but he's going to use one of us to share the good news. What a great, gracious God. That's the woman at the well. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that Jesus was intent on training these 12 apostles and then the 70 and then the 120. We thank you also that he didn't delegate the job, that he himself shared with Nicodemus and the woman at the well. And then we have this story that tells us in so many careful steps, here's how you read it, a confused person. Father, give us the grace, the wisdom, the desire, even when weary, to look up and open our eyes and see a white harvest the way Jesus sees it. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.